Medtronic Technologies impacted more than 72 million people in the last year, equating to two people every second. Harnessing the power of technology to take healthcare further, each technology has unique benefits designed to serve patients. The goal of this program is to get closer to the patient and delve into the challenges and impact of each technology in practice. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. The McGrath Mac video laryngoscope and McGrath Mac disposable laryngoscope blades are intended to be used by trained and licensed individuals to gain a view of the vocal cords during medical procedures. Medtronic's medical education programs are offered to provide attendees education on the FDA-cleared indications and use of our products when applicable. The contents and conclusions of the following program are solely those of the speakers unless otherwise cited. The speakers are responsible for all content and necessary permissions. The speakers received funding from Covidian LP, a Medtronic company, for this speaking engagement. For this segment of the series, a discussion on safe airway management, how has anesthesia changed over the years for you? To help provide insight into this topic is Dr. Adam Thaler, Department of Anesthesiology, Assistant Professor at Jefferson University Hospital. So just going into changes in anesthesia, I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with this picture. It's all over Philadelphia uh, in Pennsylvania Hospital, for instance, but this is 1848, the first ever anesthetic by Morton over at MGH, Mass General Hospital. Um, so that's what was happening then was the first thing we think of is why are they wearing masks? No, but it's, uh, it's, it was very different back then in this amphitheater um, and with ether. And then this was me um, at the height of the pandemic when we were using an airway box, which we aren't using anymore for numerous reasons, which we can discuss if you're interested in, but uh, this is a video laryngoscopy, uh, the McGrath that I'm using. So what options do we have? Uh, this is what you might see in any of your institutions from up top left, you have a fiber optic intubation. Um, bottom left, you have a light wand, which one of my professors back in, in residency, who he loved showing us this, uh, turn the lights off and you'd see this red light that would go down into the, the patient's uh, trachea into their lungs and, and you would try to get in that way. I didn't think it was for difficult airway per se. It was a little bit challenging, but it was something unique. Uh, then you have the Miller blade on the top. Uh, then you have, which you also have Macintosh blades too. Uh, then you have LMAs, lots of different options with LMAs on the top right. And then we have different video laryngoscopies that have been um, around different purposes. So from the GlideScope coming around in 2001 um, and to others like the CMAC and the Stores and, and the McGrath. So those are all the devices we use, uh, we have, but what do I, I personally use is if I'm doing a direct laryngoscopy, I'm most likely grabbing a Macintosh blade. Obviously, if the patient uh, has a floppy epiglottis, if they're child, which I don't take care of too much anymore, uh, then I'm gonna look for a Miller um, in terms of a direct blade. Uh, then in terms of what we use for video laryngoscopy, we have switched over at my institution to having a McGrath in every operating room just because of cost and because of ease of use and safety is was the same as the GlideScope. So because of that, we uh, are using McGrath more than more than other VLs. And in terms of LMAs, we don't use the iGel personally at our institution. I used it before. It was what I thought was the uh, most um, the easiest to place um, with less side effects in terms of airway trauma. Um, the 
there's other LMAs that I that I like as well, like the Supreme, but it really depends on your institution. And that's the superglottic airway. Uh, so it doesn't, it's a little different. Um, so just my experience. When I was a medical student at an Ohio, Ohio University, I don't know who's coming from, from there today. The only thing I saw were the Macintosh and the Miller blades. So if if I was unsuccessful personally, if I did have the opportunity for an, an easier uh, case, then uh, I would I would give it a try. But if I had one attempt that wasn't successful, a more experienced practitioner would take over. I remember there was, if you were a really good intubator, they'd be like, that guy can intubate a rock. Like he was really good. Um, you don't hear that anymore. You, you, I don't hear anybody say, oh, Dr. Miller, Dr. Joseph is great at intubating. Because now with the advent of video laryngoscopy, it, it makes it so much easier to be successful, um, which we'll go into details on numbers. Uh, but that's probably the biggest, biggest change. Uh, then I was a resident and VL did appear towards the end of my residency at Penn, but it was only used if you failed. You had to try direct laryngoscopy first. Um, you'd have a glide scope available, maybe outside the room, someone would run and get it if you did fail. And there were not that many. What was I using then for the difficult airways? We were intubating through an LMA using that light one that I mentioned, a fiber optic bronchoscope, a lot of awake fiber optics. Now, I don't hardly do any awake fiber optics. It's a rarity. We do have a pretty intense ear, nose, and throat department. So for the, the weird cancers and when the patients can't open and for a couple other reasons, we do still do the occasional fiber optic, but it's a rarity now with the advent of videos. Then I went into private practice in South Jersey, it's a smaller institution, uh, 300 bed, and GlideScope was used, we used a little bit more. We had a handful of them in, in our ORs, and we would use it based on the patient's history, right? We'll go into history and what we look for in, in a bit, but also the type of surgery. So if it looked like something, for instance, um, a thyroid, parathyroid, for instance, it needs to see where the tube's going with the NIMS um, or, or whatnot. We did have one McGrath in an airway box in the PIXA, so it was locked, very secure. By the time you needed to get it, it was, it was probably too late if you needed it. Um, so it was, it was there for that on-call anesthesiologist because the on-call doc, we covered the whole hospital, the ER, the ICU, the floors, so they had us um, hold that in case because it's easier for it's more portable. And then I've come since then over the last three years at Jefferson, and it's been a, a little bit of a change personally, because what we're seeing now is VLs are used for the medical students, for the, the trainees, for the interns. We have different residents, for instance, home critical care docs, and they want to see what, what it is, the airways. And you have the ER docs and you have the dentist and OMFS surgeons and, and so forth. So we're seeing a lot more VLs for that reason, but also just because it's available and it's, it's what CRNAs and residents have recognized is that they're better with the uh, video laryngoscopy. Um, so they, a lot of times ask to use it, they have it as the backup um, and, it, and so forth. I hardly see any more fiber optics as I was seeing. Please tune in next week for a new segment from this series wherever you find your podcast. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. Thank you for listening.